When I was growing up, my parents took my sister and I to Disneyland in California. At the time, we were old enough that my parents didn't have to carry us on their backs or push us in a stroller, but we were still young enough that they knew that we could easily go missing and get lost. So while we were there, my parents had one rule. If you get lost or you can't find us, don't go anywhere. Stay where you are. We will come and look for you. And even at that young age, I remember thinking, that's crazy. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. Stay where you are. Everything inside of me, even at that young age, would have wanted to go and look for them or go and find someone who could help me to find them. But because I trusted my parents, I knew that even though what I thought was good, that they, what they knew and what they wanted would be better. Because I trusted them, I was able to sacrifice my will, what I wanted, ultimately for their will, what they knew was better. In, that, in my trust of them, I was able to surrender. As Abe mentioned earlier, today is Palm Sunday. The Sunday before Good Friday, when we remember Jesus' journey to the cross, which led to on that cross, him dying a brutal death, and ultimately his own burial. Both in the church calendar, being, today being Palm Sunday, and our passage today, we're on the very verge of Jesus' journey to the cross and him continuing that journey. As he knows the moment he leaves the Garden of Gethsemane, that he will be led ultimately to the cross. And so today, Jesus is going to take us to that garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to listen in to a prayer between Jesus and God the Father. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew 26, verses 36 through 39. You can also follow along on the screen behind me. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you take us to the garden and let us listen in to this prayer between you and God the Father. And because of your trust in God the Father, that you are able to surrender your own will to him. We pray that through your spirit, that you'd show us what it meant for you to surrender your will to the Father and what it means for us to surrender to you. Amen. The gospel writer Matthew was a disciple of Jesus and he was an eyewitness to these events. And Matthew tells us just before the story that I read that after having a meal in an upper room in Jerusalem, 
they left that upper room and they traveled through Jerusalem out into the Kidron Valley into a garden called Gethsemane. And there's a map here. You can see uh, the likely place of the Last Supper, this supper in the upper room that Jesus had with his disciples. And then leaving that room, traveled through the city, out into the Kidron Valley, into a garden called Gethsemane. In its original language in Hebrew, Gethsemane means oil press. And in the garden of oil press, Jesus begins to feel the pressure. Jesus begins to feel the full weight of what he's being asked to do. Jesus knows the moment he leaves the garden, it will be with a group of centurions and Jewish officials. And he will continue that road to the cross. And Jesus in the garden of pressing is feeling the immense weight. He's feeling anxiety, sorrow, and perhaps even fear. And we hear this in Jesus' own words. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In the garden of pressing, Jesus feels the pressure. And Jesus is under so much pressure that in fact, in Luke's gospel, he tells us around this time, Jesus begins to sweat blood. And we know now that this is a, a rare condition called hematidrosis, where the blood vessels behind the skin burst and the blood passes through the sweat glands, making it look like a person is literally sweating blood. It's a rare condition that only happens under intense stress and pressure. It's a condition that is noted today, but it's also one that Leonardo da Vinci noted with soldiers on the verge of going to battle. Jesus was under immense stress and pressure as he knew the full weight of what was about to happen the moment that he left the garden. And yet with that immense weight and stress placed on him, knowing what was about to happen, Jesus prays perhaps the most courageous prayer in all of scripture. He prays to the Father, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Not as I will, but as you will. Knowing the full weight of what was about to happen, we're told that Jesus prays a prayer of surrender. A prayer of surrendering his own will to the will of God the Father. A will he willingly gives up to God, knowing eventually that it will lead to the cross and to his own death. And Jesus is able to surrender his will to God the Father because of his immense trust in the Father. Surrender involves and requires trust. Now, surrender isn't exactly a popular word today, is it? What do you think of when you think of surrender? Giving up? Maybe the image of a ship waving the white flag comes to mind, or perhaps the picture of a boxer throwing in the towel. None of us want to surrender, I think. I don't willingly want to surrender. Sounds like a giving up, a losing, the end, a giving in to our own fate. I think many of us would want to be active to do something. And yet surrender, in its etymological origins, isn't a giving up. 
To surrender means to give over. To surrender means to give over something to someone else because of our trust in them. And whether we like it or not, we actually surrender things every day. Let me give you an example. I recently had the opportunity to get on a plane, once again, to go on a flight after many years of having not been on a plane. And, you know, when you get on a plane, you sit down, often the pilot's voice, you know, comes through the, the speaker system and tells you a little bit about the flight, perhaps the time you're going to arrive. Now, if you sat down and you heard the pilot's voice come through and you heard Pastor Abraham's voice, maybe you, like me, would probably get up and walk out. It's because getting on a plane involves surrender, right? It involves surrendering our safety and trust to someone else, namely the pilot. And if I knew that Abraham was the pilot, although he's a great pastor, I think he would make a terrible pilot. He doesn't have the training and the experience that he would need. That's right, Abe, it's going down. <laughs> he doesn't have the training and experience that he needs to be a great pilot. And yet, if I got on the plane and sat down and the voice of the pilot came through, and it was the voice of Stephen Dreger, who many of you know is a member of our Mount Pleasant Morning community and a pilot with Air Canada, I know that I could trust him. And I could sit back and relax because he has the training and experience and expertise to fly that plane and to get us there safely. That surrender involves trust. Our trust in someone else and therefore a handing over of something to someone in that trust. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Pressing, in our prayer, we hear Jesus in trust with God the Father, surrendering, handing over his own will to the will of God the Father, even though he knows that it will ultimately lead to the cross. Because of Jesus' great trust in God the Father, he's able to surrender. I recently heard a story from a member of our 10th church community, someone who learned what it meant to surrender in a very difficult circumstance. This person has given me permission to share a part of their story with you, which I'm going to read now. After climbing up the corporate ladder for over a decade, I finally felt like I had reached a place of personal success. I had a respectable nine-to-five job that gave me a steady six-figure income and solid benefits. I was proud that I lived the young, urban, professional lifestyle had semblances of success and that I had worked hard career-wise to get to the place where I was at. But in one swoop, it was taken away. I was let go, lost my job, and offered a severance package. I felt so replaceable. At first, the two to three months after being let go felt like a vacation and came with a sense of relief. But it eventually spiraled into terror and anxiety as I felt confronted with my future. I was in an abyss, lost, directionless. And it felt like an eternity in hell. I constantly found myself waking up with anxiety, panic attacks, and sobbing uncontrollably. Suicidal thoughts crossed my mind. I asked myself, how did I go from being someone who had a lifestyle most people envied to being in a place that I wouldn't have wished on my worst enemies? Long before the job and the achievements, I was working overtime to maintain an image and a resume as proof to myself and to others that I was good enough. 
good job, nice physique, and manageable relationships. That's just it. I never felt good enough. I never stopped working to build up the evidence, and when I lost the job, I felt like I lost a major piece of evidence in my life to justify my self-worth. This member of our 10th church community was clinging to their work and to their salary as an evidence of their own self-worth, as evidence of their own identity and who they are and what they were worth to others. And when they were forced to give up that job, they still had trouble letting go. Even though they were forced to let go of the job and they were let go, they were forced to still let go of that job, which led to a sense of anxiety and feeling overwhelmed and feeling directionless. Because of their own experience and history with God and in walking with others within our community and pastors, they felt like they were able to slowly trust God and surrender it to them over time. They said that because of their trust in God and others in this community, that that surrender came. And when they did, slowly surrendering to him, handing that part of their identity to God, this person says that they felt less anxious, more confident, and free from the expectation of others and themselves. They felt lighter not living for the approval of others or doing things out of a sense of obligation. This person explained that because of their great trust in God, which was built over many years, they could slowly surrender, hand over that part of their life to God, which came with a sense of relief and lightness in their spirit. I think we all have areas of our life that we would have trouble giving over, don't we? Parts of our identity or ourself that they feel like they're tied to our very worth. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's our job or our house or our salary. Something that we feel like if we had, we may lose our very selves. Henry Nouwen, the well-known spiritual writer, shares a story He shares a story about a woman who came to a psychiatric ward and when she checked in, she was asked to give over everything. They said that even though she gave over everything, there was one thing that she was unwilling to give up. Clenched in her hand was a small coin. And no one knew the meaning of this coin, but no one says that she clung to this coin as if she lost it, she would lose her very self. What's your coin? What's the thing that you cling to? You feel like if you lost it, you might lose your very self. With Jesus, we're being invited not to live our lives with clenched fists, but to live the way of open hands, the way of surrender. In my own life, one of those areas that I've been working over time to surrender has been my desire for popularity, recognition, and affirmation in others. And because of that desire, in my first year of university, I pledged to a fraternity. Now, those of you who know me may laugh because that sounds in many ways out of my character, but it's true. 
In my first year university, I was pledging to a fraternity. No, this isn't a pledge photo. This is actually me with my grandma. Fortunately, my grandma did not pledge the fraternity with me. That might have been <laughs> very strange <laughs> for many reasons. Um, but I, I add this photo so you can see a little bit of what I looked like around that time. I had the same bleached blonde hair um, that I used to have. But in that season, not only was I pledging to a fraternity, I was also a new Christian. A few months before, I had come to know Jesus, had a powerful experience of the Holy Spirit, and had been baptized. And here I was as a new Christian, also pledging to a fraternity. And I was seeking to join the fraternity uh, out of an invitation to a friend who was already a part of it. And I thought in joining that fraternity, I could further my own popularity and gain recognition from some of my peers. And so even as a new Christian, seeking to follow the way of Jesus, there was still a part of myself that also wanted something else. Not just the way of Jesus, but also the way of my own recognition, my own popularity, the way of the self. And this lasted for a number of months. I was continued to pledge, which means to kind of go through a trial period with others to see if it's a good fit for you and a good fit for them. Until one day we had a meeting with other first years who were also seeking to, to pledge and were on the, the verge of becoming full members of fraternity. And during that meeting, I won an award from among my peers, which felt like a great recognition in some ways. And usually this competitive desire that I have within myself that wants to win and also seek affirmation from others usually would have jumped at this opportunity to gain that kind of notoriety and affirmation from my peers. And yet, for some reason, in that moment, it was actually a cause for reflection. And I went home that night, and I spent time in prayer and in reflection. And I asked God, even though I've come to know your way and want to follow you, why is it so hard to let go of this part of myself? Even though I really want to follow you, why is it so hard to let go of this need and desire that I have to be recognized and affirmed and for my identity to be seen in the eyes of others. And if I'm honest, I'd actually spent so long at that point trying to find my identity and my self-worth in the eyes of other people and trying to impress them that it was almost hard to imagine myself not doing that. That to let go of that part of my life would actually feel like a kind of death and yet because I had gained a, a level of trust in the last number of months, learning to follow Jesus, having a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, belonging to a beautiful church community and having been baptized, I had enough seeds of trust within myself to know that even though this surrendering would feel like a kind of death, that Jesus also promised a new life on the other side of surrender. The surrender feels like a kind of death. But it's a kind of death where we're invited to know new life, joy on the other side. What are the places where you're being invited to surrender? The things that you cling to, as if you lost them, you may lose your very self. The things maybe you fear losing above all else. What are those things in your life? 
Have any of you taken swimming lessons before? You can raise your hand if you have. Okay. Well, perhaps you remember back when you were a kid taking swimming lessons. One of the first lessons you hold on to the side of the pool, right? One of your first lessons, and then your swimming instructor says, all right, it's time to let go and to start swimming. And there's always that one person who lets go right away and you know, does the back crawl or something. But most other people look around, the kids look around each other and they go, is this person crazy? If I let go of the side, I'm going to die. There's only one place to go if I let go of the side of the pool, and that's straight down to the bottom. But the only way to swim is to let go. And the only way to swim in God's grace and the new life that he has for us is to let go, to surrender to hand over our will, what we think is best for our lives, to the will and the way of God. As we learn through the I Am series, as we walk through John's gospel, Jesus promises us eternal life when we follow him, when we embrace his way. And eternal life doesn't just mean life forever. It actually means more life. Abundant life, a more beautiful life than we ever imagined, not only later, but right now. And this may not be the kind of life that we originally imagined or wanted or hoped for. But the way of surrender, the way of open hands, may feel like a death. But it's a death that leads to new life. In the garden of pressing, in this bold and courageous prayer, Jesus opens his hands in surrender. The same hands that would ultimately be taken to the cross and nailed there where he would die and then eventually would be buried. But we can trust Jesus in our own surrender because Jesus himself has gone there. He knows the full weight of what it's like for us to surrender. He's been there himself. But he also knows that on the other side of surrender is new life. A new, abundant, more beautiful life than we could possibly imagine. Because he's been there, we can trust him. We can follow him. Through our own surrender into embracing the new life that he has for us. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I do, our worship team is going to lead us to a song. And I invite you during that time, you're welcome to stand and to sing, or if you want to sit and pray in reflection, asking Jesus, Lord, what are you inviting me to surrender And what is the new life that you want me to embrace on the other side? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you have already embraced the way of open hands, which led to the cross and your own death and your burial. We thank you that like an explorer who has already been there themselves, that you are able to lead us in and through 
new places into the promise of new life, resurrection life on the other side. Lord, what are the places you're inviting us to surrender today? And what is the new life that you want us to receive on the other side? We thank you that we can trust you because you've been there and that you will faithfully lead us through any surrender to the other side. Amen.